0: The Old Testament reading is 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24. 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24. And this is the infallible, the inerrant word of God. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O oh, man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O oh, Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. And let's turn now to the New Testament, to Luke's gospel, and this will be our sermon text. Luke chapter seven, verses eleven through seventeen. Luke seven, eleven through seventeen. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gates of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still and he said young man i say to you arise and the dead man sat up and began to speak and jesus gave him to his mother fear seized them all and they glorified god saying a great prophet has arisen among us and god has visited his people and this report about him spread through the whole of judea and all the surrounding country may the lord bless his word to us this morning Last week as we looked at Luke's Gospel, we read of Jesus uh, performing a great miracle in the town of Capernaum. Uh, There he healed the servant of a centurion. Uh, The servant was sick even to the point of death and Jesus healed him without being uh, with him. He merely uh, spoke his word and this man who was uh, on the verge of death uh, came to life. And in our passage, immediately following that, this morning, Luke tells us that Jesus goes to a town called Nain, in verse 11, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as we'll read, or as we heard, in Nain, Jesus performs an even greater miracle. He not only heals someone who is at the point of death, but he brings to new life one who had truly uh, died And this is uh, the only place in Scripture where the village of Nain is mentioned. And you'll notice how Luke introduces it to us and to his readers. He uh, calls it a town called Nain. And, of course, this is because Luke knew that most of his readers uh, will have never heard of a town called Nain. This would be a place that was completely uh, foreign to them. Uh, Some of you have grown up in uh, small towns and various places and you know what it's like to come from a place that no one has heard of. Well, that was Nain. As far as most of the world was concerned, uh, it even wasn't on the map. It was just another unimportant, obscure little village in the hinterlands of Galilee. And yet it was important enough uh, for the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God. It was a place important enough for him to visit. And uh, wherever there is human need, wherever there was an opportunity for Jesus to manifest the power of God, the grace of God that he possessed as the Son of God, uh, he went there. And there was no place too obscure or too little uh, for Jesus uh, to be or to visit. And it was here in Nain that Jesus chose uh, to perform one of the greatest miracles that he ever did, that is raising the dead uh, to life. Uh, Jesus did all kinds of miraculous works, but even for Jesus, uh, this was special. There are only three occasions in the scripture that we read of Jesus raising someone uh, from death to life. And here he does it in this little village, this place called Nain, and again, it tells us something about the character of Jesus that sometimes, or perhaps even often, he does his greatest work in the unlikeliest of places and also through the unlikeliest of people. Uh, today I want to take a look uh, with you at this miracle that Jesus uh, performed in Maine, and I want to consider with you what it means for us as those who belong to Christ. It tells us something about what Jesus has done for us as our savior, even now. It also tells us something of what Jesus will do for us in the future one day as his redeemed people. In this passage, Luke portrays for us what I believe is one of the most heart-wrenching scenes that uh, we encounter in all of scripture. Uh, Jesus comes to the gates of this village and he's met by a funeral procession uh, that's on its way out of town to bury a young man. Uh, This young man, his body would have been wrapped up in cloth and he's lying uh, on a bier that is a wooden plank that was used to carry uh, the corpse uh, to the grave. Uh, He's being carried out by pallbearers and... It appears that most of the town, if not all of the town, is there uh, to grieve with this uh, poor woman uh, who has lost her son. Now, every time of death is sorrowful, uh, but the death of a young person is particularly grievous. Uh, Here, this young man, we don't know how old he was, but he is called young man, but he will not live out all the years that we would expect Uh, of someone his age to live, and uh, death then has taken him uh, far too soon. Uh, So we feel the sting of death, particularly in the death of a young person. And, of course, it's always a bitter thing, uh, a grievous thing to lose a loved one to death, but for a parent to lose a child, uh, this is the most bitter death of all, the most bitter grief of all. Uh, it's often been said children are supposed to be at the funeral of their parents, not parents at the funeral of their children. Uh, but here, that's the situation. The mom is at the funeral of her son. And what makes this all the more tragic and heartrending is the fact that this boy was the mother's only son uh, literally, her only begotten son, and uh, perhaps her only child. And so uh, there can be no words uh, that could possibly describe uh, the anguish, the profound grief, the pain uh, in her heart uh, that she must have felt that day as she saw her lifeless son lying on the bier, uh, knowing that uh, she would never see his smile again. Uh, she would never hear his laughter again. And to make matters worse, uh, the woman was a widow, a uh, She had no husband. Uh, She lost her husband already, and now she has lost her son. And in that culture, she would be alone and vulnerable. And so added to her grief was the uncertainty. How will I provide for myself? How will I protect myself? And not only the woman, but the people of Nain as well. Uh, We can be assured that they too uh, were overcome with grief as they prepare uh, to say goodbye to this young man. And so Luke gives us here a very stark, uh, very raw uh, portrayal of the cruelty of death, of the pain that brings us, the grief uh, that we experience in the face of death. In recent years, as you know, it's been common to call a funeral. In fact, we don't really hear the word funeral that often, but it's been common to call that instead a celebration of life and, and i understand the reasons for doing that i'm not saying that that's wrong to do that but death is tragic it's not in itself anything to celebrate and there was nothing celebratory here about the death of this young man it was a time of unmitigated sorrow and pain and grief but this Tragedy, this heart-wrenching scene that Luke gives us here, this is the very reason, this is the purpose that Jesus went to the village of Nain on that day. It wasn't as though Jesus was just uh, aimlessly wandering around Galilee, not knowing what might happen that day or where he might go, and he happens upon this uh, funeral procession by some kind of strange coincidence, but he is the Son of God. He is the sovereign Lord. Uh, Jesus knew exactly where he was going that day. He knew exactly why he was going to that place that day. And Jesus knew exactly what he would do there. And so Jesus went that day to this middle-of-nowhere place in Galilee that no one has ever heard of, it uh, to this scene of unspeakable grief, And he goes there in order to demonstrate that as the author of life, as the Son of God, he possesses divine power and authority over life and death, that he can bring the dead to life. But before Jesus did anything, he felt something. In his humanity, Jesus felt uh, profound compassion for this uh, woman. In verse 13, we read, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Uh, the word for compassion here in the Greek, it refers to our entrails or our bowels. And that's because in the ancient mind, uh, this is where a person felt uh, his strongest emotion was in his bowels. And so Jesus literally had a visceral reaction to what he saw in name. The sight of this uh, poor woman, no doubt, overcome with grief, uh, crying, weeping. It, it uh, stirred in Jesus within him a profound sense of pity, of compassion towards this woman. I appreciate the way that the in- New International Version translates this verse. It says that his heart went out to her. His heart went out to her. And here's a glorious truth about our God, the God who has made himself known to us, the God who came to us in the person of Jesus, that he is a compassionate, he is a merciful, he is a God who has pity upon us. The God that we worship and serve, he is not some aloof deity who looks down from heaven, coldly, uncaringly, who sees our misery and suffering and simply shrugs his shoulders. But though, no, as he is revealed to us here in Jesus, he is a God who is full of sympathy, compassion. He feels uh, mercy towards us or compassion towards us in our suffering. Now, we may wonder at times, and we often do wonder at times, why, oh Lord, are you... Allowing me to go through this particular affliction. Why am I suffering this way? Or we may wonder that for other people. Why, Lord, did you bring this grief, this tragedy into this person's life? Why do they suffer this way? And those are questions that we ask. God does not give us the answer to those questions. But one thing that we can never say is God doesn't care. We can never, ever say that God doesn't care. Because here is God. In the person of Jesus, he's confronted with the scene of abject human misery, and he's filled with compassion. He cares. He cares deeply. And then Jesus says something that you will never hear, I hope you never hear, at a funeral. And that is, he goes up to the mother, the young man, the one who is bearing most of all this grief, and he says to her, do not weep. Now, why would anyone tell a mourner at a funeral who's crying, do not weep, do not cry? Because isn't that what a funeral is for? For us to uh, remember the loved one, to grieve, to mourn, to weep at the loss that we feel, the pain that we feel, because he or she has gone? So we would never say that. But Jesus had a reason for saying that to this woman, because... He was about to take away the cause of her weeping. He was about to remove from her everything that was causing her to cry that day. And one of the most precious promises that God gives us in the scripture is that one day, he will wipe away every tear from her eyes. In Revelation 21, we read this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so Jesus is here giving this woman a taste of that comfort, that consolation, that we will all receive from the Lord Jesus on the day of glory when we are in his presence, that he will wipe away every tear. All that has caused us to weep in this world, the loss that we have felt, the grief that we have felt in the face of death, the pain, the tears that we have shed, He will wipe them all away. And now He's doing this for this woman to show what He will do for us one day. If it seems strange, and you can imagine that the people at the funeral procession seeing seeing Jesus, perhaps they didn't know who He was, but seeing this rabbi, uh, hearing Him say to the woman, "Do not weep." If, If that must have seemed strange to the people there, what Jesus did next would have been stranger still. Uh, Jesus touched the beer. Uh, Normally, if you touched something that a corpse was lying on, that rendered you defiled, unclean. But of course, the Holy Son of God could not be defiled or made unclean by anything. So he touched the beer, and the funeral procession came to a halt and by now the people have understood they don't know what jesus is doing but they've understood that jesus did not come to this funeral to share in the mother's grief or to weep and to see uh, the burial of this young man but he came there for some other reason because he brought the funeral to a stop and of course they don't know what jesus is about to do and so they're wondering what is this rabbi doing this is very strange imagine seeing a funeral procession um, coming down the road and some man stops in front of the hearse and waves his arm and it brings everything to a halt. Everyone would wonder, what's going on? What is this man doing? Well, Jesus does not keep the people in suspense for long because right after he stops the whole funeral, he does the most extraordinary thing of all. He speaks to the corpse. He commands the corpse, this dead body. He says, young man, I say to you, arise. Wonder of wonders, the impossible happens. Luke tells us the dead man sat up and began to speak. So here was this young man who was dead. He was lifeless. And now his heart starts beating. His lungs fill with air. He sits up and he begins to speak, all at the command of Jesus. Uh, Wouldn't you love to know what that man said as his first words? I would love to know what he said. Uh, maybe someday in glory we can ask him. So, what do you do when you're at a funeral and the deceased comes back to life? Uh, to put it mildly, that changes everything, doesn't it? The funeral is officially uh, put on hold till further notice, and so this gathering at name was no longer a funeral. Uh, this was something else, and what we would assume that we would read next is that the people rejoiced. Because here, this woman and her uh, fellow uh, townspeople, uh, they're in the depths of of pain, of grief. And you would think now that the boy is raised to new life, that we would read how fear or how joy sees them all or how gladness sees them all. But what Luke tells us is that in verse 16, fear sees them all. So whatever joy the people may have felt immediately, it was overcome by something greater, a greater uh, feeling, a greater sense, and that was the sense of dread, the sense of awe, the fear that they felt in the presence of Jesus after he had done this unheard of thing and raising the dead to life. And why would the people fear? Why would they be filled with a sense of dread? And Terror it was because of this because they found themselves all of a sudden, they understood that they were in the presence of a man who possessed in himself the power of Almighty God. They may not have understood exactly who Jesus was, but they understood this that with him is the power, the majesty, the authority that only God himself can wield, because who else can raise the dead to life. And so they were overcome with the sense of the holiness of God that was manifested in the person of Jesus. Fear seized them all. When we think about Jesus and uh, his character, uh, the the impact or how, how others felt around him, of course, we consider that he was humble, he was gentle, he was kind, and yet... Jesus was never anything less than the Son of God. He was never anything less than Almighty God Himself come in the flesh. And here and in other places when the full power of His deity was manifested, it was a terrifying thing for sinners to behold. But it was also good. It was also good. What Jesus did, yes, it caused terror in the hearts of those who saw it, but... They recognized that this was good, that Jesus, by his power, had raised this young man to life. And so they're seized with fear, but that gives way to praise, to worship, to thanksgiving. Luke says in verse 16, they say, uh, they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And so they begin to give thanks to God. And isn't it interesting that when they saw Jesus raise the dead, they called him a prophet, And why would they do that? Because normally we think of a prophet in terms of a man of God who speaks the words of God. We think of someone like John the Baptist, who declared God's word that the Lord was coming. Repent, prepare for the coming of the Lord. Uh, The role of a prophet was to say, thus saith the Lord. But prophets did more than that. Sometimes prophets did miraculous things. There are even times when the prophet raised the dead to life. And that's what we read about in 1 Kings chapter 17. The prophet Elijah, how he gave life to the dead son of the widow of Zarephath. And in that miraculous work that uh, we read about in 1 Kings, after Elijah uh, raised this boy from death to life, the author of 1 Kings tells us that he delivered him to his mother. He gave the boy to his son. And then when Jesus raised the widow's son to life, Luke says he gave him to his mother. And this is what the crowd saw. They saw Jesus doing what they have read about their whole lives. How Elijah raised the son of the widow from the dead and gave him to his mother. Now they see Jesus doing the very same thing in name. And so they give thanks to God. A prophet has risen among us. God has visited his people. We have a new Elijah here. People were on the right track, but they still weren't quite there when it comes to their understanding of who Jesus was because he was not just another prophet in the long line of prophets that Jesus had sent, or that the Lord had sent to his people over the centuries, but this was the great prophet. This was the prophet, the prophet to whom every other prophet was pointing towards as a type and a shadow of the one who was to come. And if the people had compared a little more carefully the miracle that Elijah did with what they saw Jesus do, they would have seen that this is not just another prophet, but this is someone much greater than that. Elijah had to stretch himself over the body of the dead boy three times. And Elijah had to pray to God. He cried out to the Lord to heal or to bring to life this boy who was dead. But what did Jesus do? He issued a word, he spoke, he commanded the corpse to come to life. Not even Elijah could do that. Elijah could call upon the Lord, but he could not, by his own power and authority, raise the dead to life. But that is what Jesus did. Jesus did what only God can do. And so this was no ordinary prophet. This was the Son of God who's come in the flesh. This was their Messiah. This was the Christ, the Savior of the world. No prophet has ever said, no prophet could ever say, I am the resurrection and the life. They could point to the Lord and say, he is the resurrection, he is the life. But Jesus, when he came into the world as the prophet, he said, I, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the one who raises the dead to new life. And by this miracle, Jesus was showing us what he has done for us as his people in this life and what he will do for us in the world that is to come. First, Jesus was showing us here that he One day, in the future, he will raise us up from death to life. And if your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the hope that God has given you as a believer in Christ. This is the promise that God gives to you in his word. That though one day you must die, when Jesus comes back to the earth, he will speak his word. And your body, which is laying in the grave, will be brought you. Uh, From death to life, you'll be raised up in a body that is incorruptible, immortal, imperishable forever and ever. And Jesus will do this for you, just as he did it for this young man in this passage. He spoke his word, he uttered his word, the dead came to life. And when Jesus comes again, he will speak his word and his people will be raised up in bodies that are glorious and fit for heaven forever. Jesus said in John six forty, for this is my will or this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now, for us in this life, it is it is good for us to seek our uh, physical well-being. It is good for us to pray for the sick. It is good to. Uh, seek ways to preserve our health, uh, to take care of our bodies. But this is not the hope that God gives us, that he will give us a long and healthy and prosperous life in this world. This is not our hope. It is something far greater than that. Neither is it your hope as a Christian that you will spend an eternity uh, separated from your body, But your hope as a Christian, the promise that God makes to you is not health in this life. It is not to be free from your body forever, but that He will one day raise you up in your body to be fit for a new heavens and new earth forever and ever. Resurrection, resurrection hope. That is the promise that God gives to us in Jesus Christ. And it is only with this hope, this hope in the resurrection, that one day we shall be conquerors over death, disease, decay forever and ever. This is the hope that can sustain you in, in this life, in the face of everything that pertains to death. Death itself, disease, the deterioration of the body, all of the ways in which uh, we, we know that our, our time is short and that our bodies will not live forever. It is only with this hope in the resurrection can you face these realities in this life with patience, with confidence, knowing that God has promised you something far greater than just health in this life, but he's promised you to give you a new body forever. So first, Jesus, by this miracle, shows us what he will do for us one day as our Savior. Secondly, by this miracle, Jesus is showing us what he has already done for us, And giving us new life. And that is by his Holy Spirit. Jesus has already raised us up from death to life. Before Jesus came to you. In his mercy and compassion. Before he made you alive. You spiritually were as dead as this young man. As his body was dead. Laying on the bier. About to be buried. But God in his grace. He came to you in your spiritual death. And by his power and his word, he has made you alive together again with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And here is a picture that Luke gives us of the sovereign power, the grace, the authority with which Jesus, our Savior, comes to us in our spiritual death, and he makes us alive together together. With him, The young man who was lying on the beard, he wasn't just incapacitated. He wasn't just really, really uh, ill. He wasn't just needing uh, to be restored to good health, but he was dead. He was as dead as the planks on which his body lay. And Jesus came to this person who was hopeless. He was dead and he spoke his word and he came to life. And in the same way Jesus comes to you and me in our sin, when we are dead in our sins and trespasses. By nature, we are spiritually lifeless. We have no power, we have no ability. We do not need a helping hand. We need our savior to come to us to raise us from death to life by his sovereign power. And that's what Jesus does for us. He gives us new life by his spirit. And so we don't come to Jesus in order to be made alive but because Jesus has come to us and made us alive, we respond in faith to know our Savior, to know this redemption that He has given to us so freely, so powerfully. And if your faith is not in the Lord Jesus Christ, He is calling you today through His Word to believe in Him, to come to Him as your Savior, because only as you Come to him in faith. Do you come to know the one who has first come to you to give you life? But he calls you to believe in him as the one who can deliver you from sin and death forever and ever. And when you do, your sins are forgiven. And he gives you this promise of resurrection life forever. So both our spiritual resurrection in this life and our physical resurrection in the world to come, these are the result of God's sovereign power and grace. And the price that Jesus paid in order to give us this life was a terrible price, and that was his own death, his death on the cross. I said earlier that it's a common saying that children are supposed to be at the funeral of their parents, not the other way around, but really that's not strictly true. According to God's purpose for us, when he created us, there was not supposed to be funerals of any kind, ever. That was not God's purpose for us, when he made us. He made us to be free from death. But death is an evil intrusion into this good world that God has created for us. We were not created to experience the pain of losing a loved one, to suffer death ourselves. But death came into the world... Because of sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And when we see this heart-wrenching scene that Luke portrays for us in this passage, what we see here is not unique. It is not anything that we're not familiar with. But here is a scene that has been played out over and over again in the history of humanity. The sorrow and the grief that death brings to us. Death separates us from the, the, the ones whom we love. It is painful. It is cruel, and it is all because of sin, because of, because of human sin, because of our sin, collectively. Uh, several years ago, I read an article about a company uh, that was uh, started by the same people who started the, the, uh, Google, the company Google. And the goal of the company was to find a solution to death. Um, you can't accuse this company of setting their sights too low. You know, that's quite a mission statement for a company. You know, we will overcome death. But of course, you know, I don't know how they're trying to do this. But of course, they're seeking some kind of medical solution or a physical, uh, technological solution to death. But the problem is, that's not what causes death. It's not ultimately at root a medical problem, a physical problem. It's not something within us physically that can be fixed with some technology. The reason that we die is spiritual. It is because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. It is a spiritual problem. And for that reason, Jesus went to the cross to take away our sin that we might receive from him eternal life. And by his death, For in our place, he has overcome death for us and he gives us his life. And this is what his death means for you as one who belongs to Christ. Because Jesus died, already you have new life in him by his spirit and he promises you that just as he raised this young man from the dead, one day he will speak his word. He will raise you from the dead as well and we will be conquerors with him forever and ever over death and hell forever. Let's pray.